Welcome to the Bible Q&A Podcast, the show that answers your questions about the Bible, Christian theology, and church history. This podcast is brought to you by Risen Ministries and Creation Today. Now here are your hosts, Tim Chafee and Eric Hoban. Hey out there, happy Thanksgiving. Well, actually it's not Thanksgiving Day right now as Eric and I are recording this episode, but if everything goes according to schedule, this episode, which is episode number eight, will of the Bible Q&A podcast will be released on Thanksgiving Day. Hopefully, I mean, I kind of like you to be listening to it that day when it comes out, but <laughs> at the same time, I hope that you're spending time with your family and friends and that you're not uh, trying to figure out, hey, what are Tim and Eric going to talk about today? We've got uh, a maybe... lot of faith in the three listeners that are listening to the Bible Q&A podcast. <laughs> maybe, maybe save that for, for Black, Yeah, maybe save that for Black Friday instead of going <laughs> and standing in long lines and fighting with people over the Cabbage Patch doll that's the last one in the store or something like that's that. Funny. <laughs> that's funny. Actually, so... you could let the people in line listen to the Bible Q&A. They should be listening to us right now. Everybody in line on Black Friday should be listening to this right now. That's great. I like it. There we go. <laughs> hey, so. I know we want to follow up from uh, previous episodes, questions that people have, but let me just remind our listeners real quick. If you have a question that you'd like answered on the Bible Q&A podcast, all you have to do is send it in to BQA for Bible Q&A uh, question and answer, BQA at creationtoday.com. Org. Send that in. We love getting your questions, love answering these questions. I'm certainly enjoying learning from Tim. If you haven't gotten to listen to one, I'm excited about what you'll learn today. And if you don't mind a share on social media or a rating on this podcast, it really helps get the word out. We appreciate that. So yeah, Tim, before we dive, yeah, before we dive into the first question, why don't we start off by telling our listeners some of the things that we're thankful for? That's a great idea. You going first to me? Uh, well, yeah, I think, um, I think both of us could say that we're very thankful for our families. You know, God has blessed us uh, tremendously. And it's, um, for me, I can say it's uh, just a tremendous blessing to have a believing wife and yeah. uh, to have two two children. Well, they're not really children anymore. <laughs> uh, one's 16 and one's 21. But uh, just a blessing to have two kids and um, blessed to live in the United States of America where we have freedom to do programs like this. Um, I'm uh, tremendously blessed with the the job that I have. I mean, the this podcast is not an extension. It's not, uh, or it's not uh, affiliated with Answers in Genesis and, and the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum, which is where I work. Uh, but I love what I do there. Uh, and people, you know, sometimes people are like, "Oh, it's Monday. I can't." I'm like, "Hey, hey, it's Monday. I get to go to yeah. work. I, get to, I mean, <laughs> because I love awesome. what I do." Um, and I, I just I feel so blessed to be doing what I love doing. Uh, it's, it's just, um, it's better than I ever imagined that, uh, that it's certainly better than I deserve. I know that much. And so I'm very thankful for all of those things. Thankful to be raised uh, by godly parents. So, um, mom, you're probably listening. Dad, maybe not so much. You're probably out <laughs> hunting right now, <laughs> but thank you for being great examples for me. And, um, yeah, I'm thankful for a lot of things. Well, I'm in the exact same boat. Ditto, ditto, ditto. Amazing family. Phenomenal wife. I had a fantastic dinner tonight. Uh, we love it. One of the really things I'm, one of the things I'm really thankful for, we do family dinners uh, just about every night of the week. And so having, I'd say at least four to five nights of the week, uh, we have a family dinner there at the house. And my wife uh, just really does a lot of work to make that happen. And I'm just incredibly grateful for that. Uh, but my family... It's good food, salvation. too. I've been, there. I've been there for a couple of meals. It's good stuff. It is always good stuff. Man. What, was that, what was that dessert she made the one time? It was, it was, um, 
it was pretty, I don't want to, heavy sounds bad. It was pretty rich. Man, um, she makes a, a lot of great stuff. Some sort of butter cake or something. Oh, the butter, uh, the uh, ooey gooey butter cake. Yeah, ooey, ooey gooey butter cake. Let me tell you. <laughs> I think my stomach just grumbled right now. <laughs> that is a good <laughs> I'm salivating. Yeah, that was pretty good. Hey, you know, it's so, interesting. I, I was talking to a young man today. I, I did a chapel service at, our, at one of the local schools, and one of the young men came up afterwards, and we ended up talking for a minute. And his his father, uh, there's him and an older brother, and the mom. His father just walked out on him just a couple of months ago. And uh, from what I've learned of this situation, it's just a really rough situation. And even in that, this is I'm, I'm sharing this with you so that no matter where you're at in life, I just want you to understand, even with that, while we were sitting there talking and we were talking through, are there things that are good in your life? Are there things that you can praise God for? I said, yeah. And then we talked about just some discipleship moments there of, can we take what Satan wants to use to turn into hate and do what Jesus did and turn that into love? And can we say, man, let me learn right now in this situation how to love my mom and how to love my dad that walked out on us. And yeah, that's, that's I, I powerful. Go, no matter where we're at, and no matter where you're at right now, you may have some junk going on in your life, but no matter where you're at, I'm just telling you, if you can find the way to turn that around and praise your heavenly father for who he is, and that's what we actually talked about uh, that today in, in the chapel service, was God made everything good. The bad that we have in the world is not the result of God wanting bad things to happen to you. That's the result of sin. And so we just kind of pondered and reflected on who the good, good father is. We sang that song for worship. You're the good, good father, and he really is. So take a moment, if you would, today, uh, whether you're listening to this on Thanksgiving or a totally different day, and you're like, I, I'm, I'm, I got my Christmas sweater on, but uh, man, would you just use a little bit of time today to be thankful uh, for all that God has done for you? Yeah, I, I think that's great. Um, it, if we can learn to forgive, um, you know, think of what God has, how much He has forgiven us, and yeah, people, there. That's a terrible situation, um, but people can uh, can be a, it can be such a powerful testimony when people who have been wronged terribly um, can forgive that person. Um, I think of stories I've heard of of. Yeah. women forgiving their rapists or forgiving a murderer, um, somebody who took their husband or, or their wife or their child and, uh, and to, to forgive. How powerful is that? Uh, so that, then we look at what God did for us. Um, yes. Not only did he forgive us, but the way in which he did, the, 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 the cost to send his son and for Jesus to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven. Uh, we should be eternally thankful for that no matter what we're going through. Amen. Amen. And I tell you, as, as Christians, when you don't forgive, it's just a sign that you've lost sight of what God has done for you. Don't ever forget. If you're a believer, don't ever forget what God has done for you. And as long as you keep your eye on that, I don't think you'll have a problem loving and forgiving and accepting other people. That's for sure. Yeah. I, th I think we could go on and on in the show just <laughs> talking about that. I mean, you don't want to allow bitterness to jump in, but we, but that's what happens. If you don't forgive, you allow bitterness to, to take hold. And boy, that's so, that's devastating. We're going to start preaching involved. here, Pastor Tim. Yep. Here we go. So let's, <laughs> let's move on to the question because okay. we're moving away from thank, thankfulness. So 
You started it. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. I started preaching there. My bad. Uh, just, it just right. happened, and it just reminded me. Man, there's, we have so much to be thankful for. I mean, I'm we thankful do. for the blood running through my veins. I'm th- thankful for the air coming in my lungs, and I just I want every breath. That's one of the things we pray at night with my kids. May every beat of our heart be a beat that, that glorifies God. May it be something that is giving Him praise. So that's where we need to be. All right. All right, so follow up on the previous episode. What do you got, man? Uh, I, well, actually, I know you had mentioned something about somebody who tweeted something about episode four with a woman caught in adultery. Did you want to hit that? Yeah, I do want to talk about that a little bit. We were asked a question uh, about whether or not we thought that the passage uh, from John seven fifty three through John eight eleven, uh, the woman caught in adultery, which you're probably familiar with. If you're not, go back and listen to episode four for the full context of this, whether or not we thought that passage belonged in the Gospel of John, because the earliest manuscripts don't have it, and uh, you know there's a, there's a debate about that. But even most of your Bibles will say that if you look at there's a note right there, and they'll tell you the earliest and most reliable manuscripts, at least the ones they consider to be that, uh, don't have that passage, and, and sometimes it appears in the Gospel of Luke. Um, so we address that issue, and um, how can we have confidence that any part of John is correct uh, if that passage doesn't belong there, and uh, so the person said that we dodged the real issue here, um, that th- if the woman caught in adultery doesn't belong in John's gospel, then how can you have confidence that any part of John's gospel is correct? And uh, first of all, we didn't dodge that issue. We no, 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 Tim. First of all, thanks for listening. <laughs> okay, now, second. <laughs> all right, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, but um, we did address the issue, although maybe it was a little bit indirectly. I, um, I did talk about how the external and the internal textual evidence is actually against that passage being written by John at that point in his gospel. Um, Again, go back and listen to episode four for more info on that. I don't want to rehash everything here. Uh, Many scholars believe it's a a real account. It really did happen. But John just did not write it or John didn't write it to be right there in his gospel. Um, But for the sake of argument, we said let's assume that it doesn't belong. And the original question asked, how would I handle issues like this were part of the text that's called into question. And I said that I don't build my teaching or build my arguments, my doctrine, on the passages that I know are um, in question based on the manuscript. So, for example, this one and also the end of the, of the Gospel of Mark, uh, verse, Mark 16, 9 through 20. Uh, there are a lot of manuscripts that don't have that passage. So I don't use those as the basis for my doctrine. I understand what they say. I know that they're in some manuscripts and they're not in others. So so I just don't use them as um, the basis. You're not going to hear me say, well, Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. So this, that's the attitude we need to have. Because maybe, let's again, for the sake of argument, let's say the passage doesn't belong there. Then he, maybe he didn't really say that. And so I just don't use those as proof texts, as it were. Um, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the gospel is suddenly called into question. That seems to be what uh, this person was saying, is that, well, if one part gets called in question, then suddenly it's all in question, it's all in play. And that just, that simply isn't the case. Um, What I pointed out is that because we have so many manuscripts of the New Testament, and, and so many manuscripts and fragments of the different books in the New Testament, we know where those discrepancies are, we know what they are, and we know whether or not they have any bearing on, on, on Christian doctrine. And even... Bart Ehrman, who's one of the most popular critics of the Bible, says that the essential Christian beliefs are not affected at all by these differences. So here's the guy who that a lot of the skeptics are running toward and quoting, and he himself says essential Christian beliefs aren't affected by these variants. 
Because here's the thing, we know what they are and where they are, we know whether or not they actually affect anything, and there's a whole lot of passages that don't have these variants, that aren't called into question. There's not question about whether or not Matthew or, or Luke or John, um, even Mark, which if we take off the very end of the gospel, verses 9 through 20, they still all have the resurrection of Jesus. That's not called into question because maybe the woman caught in adultery doesn't really belong in John. And yet the skeptic seems to think that that's what happened. But the burden of proof is really on them. They have to show why the rest of the text isn't reliable. It's not like um, putting a witness on a witness stand and saying, you know, um, let's see if we can show that this guy is not reliable here. Well, even if he's not reliable, if you can if you can find out that maybe he lied one time about a certain thing, it doesn't mean he's not telling the truth elsewhere. It, you may not want to believe him, but it doesn't mean that he's not telling the truth when he said that, hey, I really saw this person shoot that other person. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know because, if it's okay if I, I'm not sure if I like the analogy because I, I get what you're saying, but it does in a court of law, it makes you feel like, well, if they've lied there, they could have lied somewhere else. And now how do right, you know but, but let's say that, uh, but but let's not, say that where, let's say that where they lied was something that they found a lie when they were in high school that they told, um, a buddy a lie. And then 20 years down the line, you're talking about a huge, uh, super big, important event and they, or this this crime, and they saw it, they were a witness to it. Uh, does it make sense to go back and say, hey, you have a history of lying, remember 20 years ago? Yeah, no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't discredit what they saw. And what you have to do is look at each case and say, are they telling us the truth here? So the burden of proof is on the, on the skeptic. And I understand the, your concern with the analogy. Yeah, I'm, I'm that, still going, ah, wait a minute, we're not accusing John of lying at all or anybody No, we're not lying. at all. And I, and I want people to understand that. We're yeah. not accusing John of lying. I'm just saying that the whole, uh, the whole idea they think that by showing that they can they can point out what might be one problem, suddenly all of it collapses. Yes, like and that's, that a, was the big thing for me that that I learned from that. I really enjoyed that. You you show that it's not a house of cards. It's not like hey, you pull this and the whole Bible comes tumbling down now. Right. The skeptic has to show that John or any other biblical writer has just made it all up. That's what you got to show. You have to believe that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and, and all these other people who wrote about Jesus, who said they walked with him and talked to him, that they made up everything. And the, the things just externally, the, the, the external references to these same stories and these same events. and Yeah, and which we, we covered in, uh, what was it, episode two or three. We yeah. went through a lot of the secular writings about Jesus. So uh, they, that's what they have to show, and they can't show that. Uh, all they're, What they're trying to do, they, they you know what? Eric, it's almost like um, it's like some of the skeptics and atheists. In many ways, they're a lot like um, I hope we don't get in trouble for saying this, but really strong religious fundamentalists. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> and they're probably I, cringing that I would say that. You're right, but though. For, but for them, it's like every single topic when it comes to Christianity or when it comes to the Bible or when it comes to religion, everything is a completely all or nothing proposition. Yeah. Everything is either all black or it's all white. And they think that if they can find a little tiny error here in one of the translations we have in English, well, the whole Bible collapses and disproves all of Christianity and, and it proves that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and, and it proves that the original manuscripts had those errors too. Um, and that's just silly. But there, remember when we talked a few episodes ago about doubt unto, you know, that, that they, they want to doubt to, yes. to try to find error? That's what they're doing. Yeah. They're trying to find holes. They're trying to poke holes. So any little thing they can, they're trying to uh, expand and say, hey, here's this big error and you can't trust anything here. Um, and in fact, I, some Christians, I, I remember I said that they're like really strong religious fundamentalists. Sometimes Christians get caught up in this kind of thinking too. 
uh, I read a book where from a Christian writer who said that, um, I think this is toward the conclusion that the Bible is either all true or none of it is. Well, Wait that just isn't, that's just not logical. That's true. You got a book written over 1500 years, over 40 different authors, and you can't say either all of it's true or none of it's true. Right. I mean, what if all of it is true and there happened to be one tiny little mistake? Does that mean that suddenly none of it is true? No, that's that's illogical. Now, you could say it's the Word of God or it's not the Word of God, or you could say that most of it's the Word of God. I mean, just, I'm talking about logical possibilities here. I believe it's the Word of God. I believe it is without error. And, I, you, you know, it's just I don't want people to think that I'm trying to defend that there are errors. No, I'm not at all. But I'm just talking about from a logical perspective, it doesn't make any sense to say it's either all true or none of it is true. Uh, so, for example, uh, let me give you, uh, Jeremiah 51, 37, we read this. Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals. Now, the Hebrew word translated as jackals there is the word tanim. With, it's spelled T in, when we transliterate in English, English it's T-A-N-N-I-M, as in Mary. But just three verses later, there's discussion, or I'm sorry, three verses earlier, there's discussion about Nebuchadnezzar uh, in 5134. The king of the Babylon uh, who has crushed me and devoured me, he has swallowed me up like a monster. So instead of dwelling place for jackals, he has swallowed me up like a monster. The word translated as monster there is tanin, T-A-N-N-I-N. Almost identical word, the way it looks in English. One has an M ending, one has an N ending. Um, and the word, so two different words that are spelled almost the same way. The first one refers to jackals. The other one refers to a serpent uh, or a monster. Some translations even say a dragon. What if the scribe accidentally wrote the same word both times, Eric? What if some scribe somewhere along the way, and they didn't do that in this case, but sometimes this sort of thing happens. That's why I'm bringing this up as an example. What if a scribe actually put the word tanim with an M ending there both times so that uh, it says that he has um, swallowed me up like a jackal? It would sound a little weirder to me. Dragon makes a lot more sense, but uh, but okay. Yeah, now, again, that hasn't happened. But if that did happen, would that somehow falsify Christianity? Would that mean that the Son of God didn't come to earth and he didn't live a sinless life, that he didn't die on the cross for his sins, that he didn't rise from the dead because a scribe somewhere along the way put an M instead of an N? Not at all. Not, in the Not at least. all. And, and that's what is happening so often. You have these little tiny scribal errors, or what we might call typos. Um, and the vast majority of what these, these variants are, is sometimes, it's just usually just a misspelling. Or sometimes it's flipping the words around, so instead of Jesus Christ, it says Christ Jesus. And uh, so that's what most the vast majority of these variants are. There are a couple of bigger ones, like we mentioned, with the passage in the Gospel of John and, and the end of Mark. But um, this, this is the kind of thing that the skeptic looks for, and they just assume, well, hey, we've got this, these differences in these copies, therefore the original was false. Well, how do you know? We don't have the original, so they can never prove that the original had the error in it. That's true. And in the, and in the same way, they would say, well, you can't prove that it was 100% was right either. And you know what? They're right. I can't prove it from a scientific perspective that the original writing in every single case was 100% accurate to scientific standards because we don't have the original writings. But that is why it's part of our faith. It's a statement of faith that we believe that God inspired these and we have good reasons for that. It's not just this blind faith that we, oh, we hope we picked the right one. Yeah. We have very good reasons by looking at the text itself, looking at the prophecies that, that scripture has that no other holy book has, looking at the archeological uh, evidence, looking at so many different things that confirm time and time and time again that the Bible is true. 
So we have we have great reasons for that. Well, and Tim, let me let me add this because this is something that you would be able to speak to. From what I understand, even if you go with Bart Ehrman's, you know, there are 400,000, you know, errors in the Bible. And he lists, you know, it's every, or if there's variant. anything. Yeah, different. he called them variants, not errors. Right, yeah. He, yeah, correct, variants. But yet, if you look at, take everything into consideration, does any of all of those variants, do any of them change the idea that God created the world, that man sinned and brought death into the world, and that Jesus Christ is the Savior that came to redeem mankind? No. And no, that's the purpose of the scriptures is to tell us the truth, to reveal to us that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why right. we have them. Yeah, even and like I said, Bart Ehrman says the essential Christian beliefs aren't affected at all. And even if you could find in one case where, hey, in this one passage, well it um the this one key word is missing. Okay, but it's in twenty five other passages. I think it's pretty clear which one it should be. Yeah. <laughs> that this is still taught in Scripture doesn't mean that it's not taught there. So, it's again, it's almost like that religious fundamentalist mentality of all or nothing every single time in every single case. And that just isn't, it's much more nuanced than that when we're talking about the uh, transmission of the biblical text down to what we have today. Well, Tim, we just spent our first two-thirds of our podcast reviewing from the last show. Thanks a lot. Oh, well, not you even real, from the last show. You really wanted to drive that point home, didn't you? I guess I did, yeah. <laughs> well, if you didn't interrupt me all the time, or if you weren't preaching at the beginning. <laughs> I started preaching, my bad. Well, hey, this does segue into the into the first question of this episode, episode eight. Uh, that is, I'm just, this is going to make some of you, your blood's going to boil, some of you are going to go, okay. Some of you are going to have to hear the question and then pause it. <laughs> Take some breaths and go, okay, now let me hear what you guys have to say about this. And the question is from Beto, and he asked this question. Excuse me, Beto. Thank you. Beto says, hey, which Bible translation is the right one? Oh, my goodness. Tim, I'm going to have to walk away and take a break here. Let me take my (laughs) my Bible. I grew up on the King James Bible, okay? So I've grown up with the King James Bible. I now have Ray Comfort's Evidence Bible. Say that again. That was the first one I used too. I, I used okay. the King James from I think I got it when I was in first grade, and I remember taking it to school the, the very next day. Um, it was still in its cardboard box and everything. And, uh, <laughs> then I I remember it was a black one that had like the red edges to the pages. Um, then when I was about twelve or thirteen, I got an, an NIV Student Bible and used that one. Um, for up until about Bible college, and I got an NIV study Bible. Um, you know, I, I've read a, I've made it a point for about the last, um, really about 12 years to pick a different version to read every year for my daily Bible reading. Wow. I try to read through the Bible every year. So in that time, I've read the King James Version. Well, I had already read that all the way through, and I, I remember doing that one in, in the year 2000 as well. Um, I've read through the New King James multiple times. Um, in fact, that's probably the one I'm most familiar with. Uh, that's what I used when I was a pastor uh, for the most part. I've read through the Net Bible twice, the New American Standard, the ESV, the the NIV 84 version, the NIV 2011 version, the Lexham English, the HCSB, and now the CSB is what I'm doing this year, which is the updated version of the HCSB. So I'm not so, saying that. So that how do you memorize it. scripture? Which one do you memorize it I, in, or do you that's do you problem. have them it's, all separate? No, that's the that's the no, it, that's the problem. When I try to quote, it's almost like a it's a conglomeration of a bunch of them. I, some of them. Yeah, are, you're not the, doing the, the message version for your memorization, are you? Yeah, it comes no, out I'm messy. It comes, all those conglomerates come out message. No, uh, I'm not. Although the, I think you know Eugene Peterson uh, about a month ago passed away. He was the guy who did the did the Message Bible. Yeah. Um, 
But um, yeah, so I'm not trying to make light of the the message of the time. But no, that's not one that I've read through. I, I looked at it, and I don't think it's going to be one that I read through. Um, <laughs> well, but, well, here's you know the deal. In, in all honesty, with this, uh, Tim, I, you know, I I grew up in the King James only camp. Right. Uh, grew up right there, very very strongly. Uh, and they would go so far as to say, if you don't use the King James then you're a heretic. Some, I, I, have, I have heard from people's mouths them say, if you don't get saved through the King James Bible, then you're not really saved. And I just, I, I step back and think about that and I go, okay, that doesn't even sound logical. Uh, to, 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 and it's, anyway, so I grew up with that and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this whole translation. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really unfortunate that some people get so... Um, zealous about this issue about one particular version and, and usually it's the King James version but it's not always that um, to, to get to the point where if, if somebody read John 3.16 to you from a different version and, and you trusted in Christ well you didn't really get saved that, that's just silly we're not saved by a Bible translation we're saved by, by God when we place our faith in Jesus Christ it's not a it, it's just some people take this way too far um, but why do I mention that I read a different version every year? Because I want to see the strengths and weaknesses for the different versions. Um, and what we have to understand is that people will say, well, the King James Version is word for word. No, it isn't. There is no such thing as a word for word translation because there's not always a perfect one-to-one -one correspondence between Hebrew and English or Greek and English or even a little bit of Aramaic and English. You can't always pick a one-word in English to translate perfectly a word from Hebrew or Greek. It just doesn't happen that way. Tim, I'm down here in the South, and what you just said, some people would say, Dem is fighting words right there. Dem, Dem's fighting <laughs> words. So, here, let me explain. You have to understand the, the philosophy of translation, and when a Bible translation committee gets together, they decide, are we going to do what's called dynamic equivalence, which is, maybe you can understand, like, it's a thought for thought. We're going to convey the main ideas of the writer. We're going to put it in language that's easier to understand in English. It's a lot easier to read, but we're still conveying the right thoughts. Or is it going to be more formal equivalence, which is closer to a word for word, you know, as close as possible as we can get. And it's going to get a little clunkier in how it reads. So uh, perhaps the, the most common of the, uh, of the formal equivalent Bible in English is the New American Standard. And um, it's a little clunky to read at times. That, and that's not to rip on them. That was just their philosophy to say, we're going to, it works really well as a study Bible because of that. Uh, but, and you can get interlinears or you can get um, like Young's literal translation. Uh, there's a couple of other literal translations where it does try very hard to do one to, a one-to-one -one word choice, but they still have to insert other words to make the sentence make sense. And, um, but those read really clunky, and it's sometimes it's really hard to figure out what the sentence is even saying because the word order is completely different in many cases. So there, there's really no such thing as an actual word for word. People get that, uh, they, they mistake that all the time, and there's a lot of misinformation out there about the different uh, translations. You know, a lot of. Um, well, hang on just a second. Let me just ask you, since we're on this topic, does the NIV or some of the other translations, do they actually remove verses in order to try to take the name of Jesus out of the Bible or take the blood of Jesus out of the Bible or to, you know, was it really inspired by Satan like I've heard uh, a couple individuals teach me? Yeah, you know, if it was inspired by Satan, he did a really bad job because he left a whole bunch of things in there about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking. Out. I'm yeah. going, if he wanted to take the blood out... 
how come it was still in there in like a ton of other places, you know, what's right. going on? Yeah. See, and what happens, and this is unfortunate, uh, I've got friends who, who do this as well, uh, you know, they're part of the King James Only thing, and, and they'll, they'll put memes on Facebook, and they'll say the NIV or the whatever version removes these verses. Well, I've got a simple question for you. How do you know that the King James isn't adding those? <laughs> because here's here's what it comes back to and we're, we were talking about the woman caught in adultery earlier this is a perfect example um, that passage does not appear in the earliest manuscripts we have now they'll debate that and say well they're not the most reliable ones and, and there's all sorts of arguments back and forth but the fact of the matter is you have to pick which version which uh, manuscript you're going to use to translate from and they'll say well we use the the text is receptus, the received text. Yeah, well, so do all the other New Testament translators. Well, actually, that's not true. They use what's uh, a Greek eclectic text. They, they use one that's all the, well, the New King James uses the text of receptus, but the, um, a lot of the other ones use uh, the Nestle Alland, um, or Nestle Alland text, uh, and United Bible Society Greek text. I think it's the 28th edition now, or maybe it's the 29th. But um, it's looking at all these manuscripts that we have and, and putting together um, as best they can determine what the original was. But what King James only people don't recognize is that's exactly what Erasmus did it, with the Greek New Testament that was used by the King James translators. Um, he was putting together uh, different versions that he had available to him. And in many cases, uh, in fact, he didn't have anywhere near the number of manuscripts that we have today. In fact, part of his translation of the book of Revelation, he didn't even have it in Greek, so he had to back translate it from Latin. And that's why you'll see some of the translations in the book of Revelation where you'll see like eagle instead of angel. Uh, you'll see certain words. And to say, to automatically assume that, okay, well, there's something sinister going on here. They're removing these, these verses. And they'll say, see, the, this NIV, usually the NIV is the one that gets targeted. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's almost always like, this is the one that removes things. Um, but to assume that they're automatically taking things away, you have to ask the question and just stop and think for a minute. Is it possible that maybe the manuscript that were, were used for the King James, that that verse was added? In fact, we know of certain cases where that certainly is the case. And uh, without time to go into a whole lot of these, uh, I did a series uh, on my blog. Um, gosh, was that already last summer? I thought, I thought it was this previous summer. Maybe, maybe it was a whole year ago already. On um, It was like five sincere questions for King James only advocate so uh, we'll put a link in the show to that and it's just questions that for people to consider it's um again this is not a you know somebody after i posted that they said um oh you're just attacking the king james no I, actually i'm not i'm asking questions i like the king james version i think the translators did a marvelous job with what they had and um even the translation committee of the King James would encourage people to look at other <laughs> translations that they would say that as more text come in, that we should study that as well. So the whole idea that they're removing verses, uh, I, in fact, there's cases where I can demonstrate from Scripture that the King James has missed verses. Because there's a place in Hebrews 1 where it quotes from Deuteronomy 32. Except in the King James, that passage is not in Deuteronomy 32. Uh, when Luke, or when Jesus is reading from uh, the book of Isaiah in Luke 4, that's, he's reading from Isaiah 61, and he reads uh, about recovery of sight to the blind. But guess what? That's not found in the Masoretic text, in the King James Version of Isaiah 61. That, that line isn't there. So th there are certain times where the King James is missing verses. 
that the New Testament quotes. So how can we say that this is the one and only perfect version and the rest of them are all wrong? So I think we went a little bit further than we wanted to go on this I know. I was, this, this could very easily become a whole show because... Oh, it could be multiple shows. And there, there's a lot of good discussion to be had on this. But the Agreed. question with which Bible translation is the right one? Yeah, so... I don't know that a, there is a right translation for everybody to use. Um, Obviously, if you speak a different language than English, you're going to want something that's not an English Bible. Um, but that was a big one for me. I went, wait a minute. Are you saying the the people in Russia? When my and I was married to uh, my wife Tanya from Ukraine, and she's like, "Well, our, ours is nothing like the King James version. It, it reads very differently, you know, in in Russian, in in, in the Russian language." And I found that fascinating. So. Yeah, and so that's the reason I use a different one every year. Is that I, I want to look at the range of potential meanings. Uh, that are there. Uh, the the one thing I really appreciate, even though it's not my favorite translation, but it's one of my favorite Bibles, is the Net Bible, and uh, it's free online if you want to look at it there. Uh, Net the New English Translation, and the reason I appreciate it is because, it, like a lot of you know, a lot of study Bibles will say they'll have notes saying, "Here's what this passage probably means." Here's that's their study notes or their text notes. Not the Net Bible. The Net Bible has sixty-one thousand translator notes. And what they say is, hey, this manuscript says this, this manuscript says this, or this manuscript is missing these words, but we've translated it this way, and here's why. It's and like they kind of laying it all out there. Oh, they do. And, and it's just, it's such a wonderful tool for study to, to come to a deeper understanding of this whole issue of translation. And uh, it, it reads more like a thought for thought. I don't know what their intended grade level was. Maybe it's like a fifth or sixth grade level. So it's, it's not really the best one for like a deep study of, of trying to, you know, more closer to that word for word idea. But it's really good as a tool to look at these, um, the, how translation is done. Well, for me, whichever translation you use, if you're one of my King James only friends, I love you. If you're not a King James only individual, I love you. I'm thrilled that you're studying the Bible. That, to yeah. me, is the biggest thing, getting people to fall in love with the Word of God once again and say, these are the words of life. Take these, study these, use these, apply these. I think that's yeah, And I would encourage people to make sure that we understand that, that, that we're in it together. I, you know, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, this is not something to to condemn one another over just because you have a, a different preference for a Bible tra Bible version. I have a, a really dear friend um, that I've known for, wow, over 15 years now. And we still, uh, he, he's back in Wisconsin. We still communicate. He's a pastor now. Uh, he was a deacon when I was a pastor. And uh, we have a lot of good conversations. He is a uh, King, strongly King James preferred. He doesn't ever condemn anybody if they don't use it, but that's the only one he will use. Um, and, well, I don't know if I'll say the only one. It's the one that he'll use almost every single time. And uh, we have a lot of discussions about things, but I uh, love the guy dearly and uh, a godly man. And I think if people are going to, if they really want to use the King James, that that would be a much better attitude to have rather than condemning those who use a different translation. I think, I think that's a mistake. And I think it's a mistake if those on... The other side, who are not King James, I think if we belittle or mock or anything, people who uh, are King James, I think that's a mistake too. So, well, yeah. that kind of segues into Revelation chapter twenty-two, which is the question we have for today: Does Revelation twenty-two verses eighteen through nineteen apply to all of the Bible or just the book of Revelation? So, Revelation twenty-two. 
Yeah, so here's what it says. It's right very close to the very end of the Bible. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And and I think this is what is happening in the debate we were just talking about, is people who you, who love the King James Version think that other people are taking away from the Bible. They're right. moving things, therefore God is taking away their part from the book of life. Uh, but remember the warning that's there is also if anyone adds to well, what if they're actually adding the verses? Um, and I gave a couple of examples where things are being taken out. So, but here's the problem. That passage in and of itself is referring to the book of Revelation. It's not referring to all of the Bible specifically. If you read that verse in context, anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of, of this, this book, book. Yeah, it says it's it right talking there, about Revelation. Now, we know from Proverbs, uh, we, that we should not add to God's word. Uh, the Bible tells us that to not add to God's word. Um, and there are many other places that speak of not adding to what God has said and uh, not subtracting it either. So it's, we're not supposed to do that. Um, and so, But this, this actual, these two verses, is specifically referring to the book of Revelation. Now, somebody could say, well, the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible, and God knew it would be the last book in the <laughs> Bible, so it was, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired it to be written so that it would be placed at the end of the Bible, and then it would refer back to all of the Bible. Well, you can't prove that from that, from that verse. But obviously, we would say, yeah, you don't get to add to God's word. I'm not going to take uh, my pastor's words, or, you know, if you hear a pastor saying something and say, oh, you know what, that sounds like, um, I'm going to add that to the end of Revelation. Yeah. That's, that sounds, you know, Eric, you've probably heard me say it before, but what, my uh, my 67th favorite book, do you know what that one is? No. It's it's Third Timothy. Third Timothy. Um, yeah, whenever I say something where I, I want to make it sound like it's really biblical and it's not, and, and I'm doing it in... In jest. jest. People, yes. Yeah, people know that I'm joking. I'll say, oh yeah, that's Third Timothy. That's, <laughs> I love that. What we always yeah. said around here, it was always Second Opinions. Yeah, that's in Second yeah. Opinions chapter 3. So right. like, with your name uh, being Timothy, I think that's kind of good. Yeah, it fits better for me to say that. Well, <laughs> Paul didn't write Third Timothy. I'm the one who does it, and it's constantly changing. <laughs> that's um, the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm adding to it all the time whenever I want to make rules. But I don't really think it belongs in the Bible, and nobody else does either. At least they should not. Um, so, yeah, it's a... Um, you know that's a big issue for a lot of people. The the, the King James only issue, and and we really would need more than just this one part of this show to address it fully. Um, again, check out the article that we're going to share. There's three posts on it. It's a, a series. Check those out. If you got questions, you can um, respond at the end uh, in the comment section of the blog, and um, or you can send them into the show, and we can address it in more detail. But um, you know what? If 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 you want to use the King James and that's the only one you're going to use and you think that's the, the right one, um, God bless you. Keep serving the Lord. If um, you happen to use a, a different version and you love the Lord, God bless you. Keep doing it and, and keep serving the Lord. Um, that's that's really what I want to say. I don't want to say this one is, here's the best one, the right one for every single person. Um, because I, I don't think, one, I'm not in a position to make that call, and two, I don't think that there's a right answer for each and every person, not only because of the language differences, but also uh, some people are going to understand the King James Version better, and some people are going to understand the New King James better, some will understand the ESV better, um, just that's the way it's going to be, and what we need, God's Word needs to be understood in the language that we speak. 
And that really is the point. That's why you look at what Wycliffe Translators is doing right now. Uh, I've heard people say, if you want to study the Bible, you got to speak English. And I'm going, what, then you mean you got to study King James English. My wife is from the Ukraine. English is her second language. She has a very difficult time with the King James Bible, not really understanding what it's communicating. And so we finally got her uh, John MacArthur study Bible, and I believe that's an ESV study Bible. But you look at what Wycliffe is doing, and they are translating the scriptures into thousands of languages around the world to unreached people groups. I go praise God. I'm really glad they're doing what they're doing. I think they're doing the calling of God to take the scripture, take the word around the world. So yeah, they're what doing they're, what they're doing what the King James translators did: get the Bible yeah. into the, the common, common tongue of the people. And that's what Luther did when he translated into German. And it was such a huge issue at the time because before that, the Bible was in Latin for all the people in Europe, and it wasn't supposed to go to the common tongue. It was supposed to be for the priestly class and uh, for the magisterium. And um, the masses were done in Latin. And so for Luther to say it's going to be in German so the common people can read it, that was a huge Thank step. You. But that's that's what we want. We want the Bible to be in, in the language that people understand uh, wherever they're at so that they can read God's Word. They can uh, learn to love it and love the, the God who inspired it and who made them and who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and then raised him from the dead. That's what we want. Amen. Amen. Man, started it with preaching, ended it with preaching. I love that. And we got lots to be thankful for. We do. <laughs> we sure yeah. do. Wow. Well, Tim, I love this. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us. Uh, it sure is fun walking through this material and walking through these thoughts with you. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, great to be with you again. And um, number eight down. I don't know what number that is. He said number seven was complete. Um, so <laughs> complete plus one. Is we are we're past <laughs> completion. That's correct. <laughs> All right. Well, looking forward to seeing you next week. Hope you have a, if you're listening to this right on Thanksgiving, hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And afterwards, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. God bless. You've been listening to the Bible Q&A podcast. If you have a question you would like Tim and Eric to address on the program, please send an email to bqa at creationtoday.com. Org. The views expressed on the Bible Q&A podcast do not necessarily represent those of other ministries with which Tim and Eric are affiliated. Thank you for listening.